Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Daniel Nevins. I'm at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, where I'm the Dean of the Rabbinical and Cantorial Schools in our Center for Pastoral Education. And I'm pleased to present to you the first week of Mesechet Chagiga. Chagiga is the 12th and final Mesechet, or tractate, of the section of the Talmud known as Mo'ed, that deals with the festivals. And if you've been along the ride so far, then you've realized that the sages, though they lived after the temple was destroyed, nevertheless behaved and wrote as if the temple really was still there. Perhaps they were preserving traditions from antiquity, um, which were ancient even in their own day, and seeking simply to um, remember. Perhaps they were um, actually optimistically hoping for a quick rebuilding of the temple, even as the first temple had been rebuilt, and therefore wanted to make sure that the laws um, would be fresh and available. And perhaps it even reflects a rejection of their contemporary reality and the construction of an alternative reality in which the world was not as it is, but as it should be. This is something which has great power and I think has helped to sustain the Jewish people over the centuries and the millennia of the um, exile. The Mesechet begins with a discussion about who is obligated to appear in Jerusalem and to bring the sacrifice known as the Re'iyah. We're told in the Bible itself, in in Exodus, that three times a year you should should come and celebrate the festival. That's found in uh, Exodus 23, verse 14. And there's a, uh, a longer passage in Deuteronomy, in chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, and again, um, verses 16 through 17, which describes the three festivals, which we know as being the festival of, um, of Passover, of Shavuot, and the fall of Sukkot. Um, and it says that all people are supposed to come. Um, and in the, the final verses, it says, Shalosh pe'amim bashana kol et Three times a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord, face of the Lord your God. Now, the truth is that this is probably what the sages called a tikkun sofrim. That is, the scribes who wrote the Torah, who put in the vowels, may have changed the vowels for a theological purpose. If you look at those words and you pull out your Deuteronomy 16, uh, verse 16, you'll see that if you didn't have the vowels, you'd probably say, Read it this way: Shalosh pamim b'shana yir'eh kol zuchorcha et pnei Adonai lohecha. Three times a year, um, all of your males shall see the face of the Lord your God. But of course, the Torah itself says that um, God, a person can't see God and live lo yirani adam b'chai. And so the sofrim changed the the vowels into a passive form. Three times a year, all of your males shall be seen, not shall see by the face of the Lord your God. In any event, this idea that you have to come and make an appearance before God um, three times a year is there in the Torah. 
as is the end of that expression, they shall not see the face of God or be seen by the face of God empty-handed. Each person should come with their the gift of their hand according to the blessing of the Lord your God who has given it to you. And so there's this idea that just as God has given us the land and its fruits, so we should come back to the temple and present an offering that indicates our gratitude um, and our sense of appreciation for the blessings which God has given us. So that's the background for our Masechet. We're now going to look at the first Mishnah on page 2a, um, Daf Bet Ahmed Aleph, um, which makes an emphatic expression, Hakol Chayavim everyone, everyone is obligated to appear. Now what is this to appear? Re'iyah refers both to the appearance physically, that is to show up and make the pilgrimage, but it also refers to the sacrifice, which is called the re'ayon, the appearance offering. And, and this was a sacrifice that was brought by every male, and that was meant to, um, was a burnt offering, an ola, so it was offered in the temple as a burnt offering, and it was just there to show, I'm here, I'm giving you a gift, God. Um, however, there was a second sacrifice brought by individuals, quite apart from the collective sacrifices brought in the temple on the holidays, which are spelled out in, in the book of Numbers. You've got also a, a second sacrifice, which is sometimes called the Chagiga, the name of our tractate, and it's also called the Korban Simcha, the happy uh, happiness offering. After all, the Torah says in Deuteronomy about the festivals you should be Happy, rejoice in your holidays and be happy. And so I call this the happy meal. And the happy meal was a shlamim. That is to say, it was a um, it was a sacrifice that um, was partially burnt on the offer altar, partially given as a gift um, to the to the uh, the priests. But a large part of it, most of the steaks were actually eaten by the um, by the offerant, the person who brought it with their family. And so it was the original uh, Happy Meal. Um, I try to imagine the scene in Jerusalem, by the way. Uh, it, I think the closest we can come to it in our culture is a tailgate party where you have tens of thousands of people camped in parking lots around a stadium. In their case, the stadium was the temple, but but the people of Israel were had come from the countryside. They had gathered in the central place, and they were barbecuing meat and having an incredible meal together uh, with their family and friends. Probably got a good amount of drinking and singing and fun times, uh, just the joy of being together. This is a little bit of what it might have felt like, although the differences are quite apparent. The football game is uh, maybe what passes for a religion in America, but it's certainly not devotional, whereas uh, the, the festivals were really for the purpose of celebrating with God, giving gratitude for the gift of the land and for the people and all the blessings that come in our lives. Now, back to the Mishnah, it says everyone has to bring the Re'iyah. That sounds pretty inclusive, everyone. And yet the Mishnah then goes on and it makes all sorts of exclusions. Chutz um, but but not people who are uh, deaf, a shota, or a person who is mentally ill, the katan, or a minor, the tumtum vendrogenous, or people who are in sort of a transgender intersex category, which we'll come back to, v'nashim and women, v'avadim and servants, or perhaps slaves, she'enem shukharim, who haven't been freed. 
a chiger, also a person who's got a physical disability, someone who's um, uh, perhaps paralyzed a bit, v'hasuma, and the person who is blind, v'achola, or someone who's sick, v'hazakein, someone who's old. Now, wait a second. We said everyone, and then we just excluded women and um, children and the elderly and the infirm, um, the ill, um, and people with disabilities. Um, if you add that up, that's the majority of the population. Um, and in fact, the Gemara is going to want to say, well, why did you say everyone? Who are you including with everyone? Since we've already excluded the majority of the population. Why use that emphatic term? Wouldn't it have been easier for the Mishnah to say who is included? You know, all free, able-bodied males who are not too old or too young or have no other illness that would prevent them. Make it that way. Well, the Gemara goes into a, uh, a long discussion that says, well, maybe it's referring to somebody who's half-slave and, and half-free. So that's what the hakol, the emph emphatic inclusion, in is for. Um, but maybe not. Um, perhaps it's somebody who is partially blind, like blind in one eye, um, but not in the other. You have, as usual, a, a disagreement among the sages, in this case between uh, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, uh, the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai. They, by the way, also have a different dispute in the Mishnah itself about, which I'll say first, in the Mishnah they debate about which sacrifice, the burnt offering or the hall offering, the, the olah, the re'iyah, or the shlamim, which is the, the chagigah meal offering, um, which of those is going to be uh, larger? Do you have to give twice as much money, spend twice as much on the burnt offering, or twice as much on the shlamim? Um, the house of, of Shammai says you spend twice as much on the burnt offering, uh, which is, of course, mostly given to God, with just a little bit left over for the family to eat. Whereas the house of Hillel says the opposite. You give a little bit for the burnt offering um, and twice as much for the family offering. Um, you can get it already a little bit of a sense of the differences in their approach. Um, this might be a principled debate, but it may also be about their own sort of... Um, inclinations with Beit Shammai being a bit more austere, saying you should spend most of your money on devotion with just a little bit for celebration, whereas Beit Hillel's got the opposite approach, a smaller amount for devotion, a burnt offering, seeing that nice animal get burnt entirely on the altar, and spend more on your family so that everyone can truly enjoy um, the festival. Um, but to come back to the Gemara, um, here they're debating um, what does it mean to say hakol, uh, what's it including? Um, and in the discussion about the person who is a half-slave, uh, they, they get into a little bit of a detail about, um, well, how would that work, actually, for a person to be half-free and half-slave? Are, are they going to be enslaved some days of the week and free on some days of the week? How exactly does that work? Beit Shammai points out that a person who's half free and half slave can't really have a family life because they can't marry a free person who would have a husband who's half enslaved and they can't really marry a, uh, a enslaved person because there'd be such a disparity. Hillel, to its great credit, listens closely to the words of Shammai and admits that the implications of their own position, principle though it might be, would actually be impossible to, to live out and would be cruel even. And so they go back and they teach according to the words of Beit Shammai.
just as we finish up, two quick takeaways. One of them is that where we left off there. Um, a lot of times in religion, people have principled debates, and uh, they certainly have a source for their opinion, uh, but they don't always consider its implications and how it's going to work out in people's real lives. I think what we learn here from Beit Hillel is that sometimes you have to listen uh, when you realize that your position is going to lead to some sort of challenge, some sort of impossible uh, situation, sometimes you have to listen again to what others are saying to you. And the other thing is that when we say everybody and we use inclusive language, we better be careful that we know who we're actually excluding because sometimes it's worse to pretend to be inclusive but actually to be exclusive. Uh, I'm not sure that that's explicitly there in the text, but it's really something that I take away from it. Okay, I hope you enjoyed uh, starting out on Chagiga with me. I look forward to continuing the next six days uh, together with you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.